You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you. uh... Thank you. We're so happy to be here. Hello, everybody. Hello. Thank you so much. This is our oldest daughter over here, Kylie. If you want to wave, Kylie. We got our bookends with us today, so our oldest is here and our youngest is in your children's ministry yeah 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 we have four daughters it's a girl tribe it's a girl tribe and we have two female dogs I have two french bulldogs that are girls <laughs> so pray for him i am outnumbered jen the other day she said bye girls i was <laughs> yeah that was that was a low point <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was something. Yeah. Well, we're, we're just really honored. Um, we love so dearly Chris and Terry. We've known them for the last 10 years, and we're, we're so excited about what God is doing here with you guys, with this family, and it does feel like you guys are in the midst of transition, but there is just there's great goodness because a baby comes. Something new comes, and we actually get to care for something new. So I'm just really honored to be with you guys. We are going to tag team today, so that, that should be a, a treat. So yeah, go so ahead, baby. Let's open our Bibles, and we're going to take a look at First uh, Thessalonians 5, 23. First Thessalonians 5.23. Okay. Now may the God of peace himself. Jesus himself is here this morning to minister to you. I, I love those uh, prayers over Israel. I was just imagining Jesus himself bringing peace, that, you know, Jesus himself is the one that brings peace to our chaos. He doesn't uh, send a friend. He doesn't uh, send you a good book or, you know, a three-point message on how to get more peace in your life. Jesus himself is our prince of peace. And he, he has come this morning to personally minister to you. And so I just love this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Um, You know, so this morning we're just going to, you know, linger for a little bit in the reality that you have a body. Anybody in here this morning in a body? Did you bring your body? Did you bring your body? You might not have. (laughs) It's really easy to detach from ourselves. Not going to lie. Your body is here, though. It's you know? here. Pinch and, yourself if you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and inside your body is your soul and your spirit. And your body is the only part of you that is 100% present wherever you are in the present moment 100% of the time. And so, you know, when we talk about being the body of Christ... Uh, that's the place where we're present with people, we're present with God, and we're present with ourselves. And, you know, for all of us this morning, our soul, your mind, your will, and emotions can be all over the place this morning. You, you could be in last week. <laughs> you, you can be in five years from now. Uh, you, you, you can be unconsciously processing things that happened 10 years ago that your soul is still working out. And your spirit is actually in this moment seated in heavenly places. 
you know, a lot of times Paul would be like, I don't know if I'm in the body or out of the body, <laughs> you know, uh, that, you know, your spirit man can be getting stuff done in Israel right now. Right? That, uh, and Jesus, Jesus had the capacity to be present in his body, his soul, and his spirit. So Jesus is our highest model of, of what a whole, complete human being looks like walking the earth in perfect attachment to the Father. Yeah, and kind of our main theme today will be around attachment. And when we're looking at the word attachment, the word that's most commonly used is connection. And what we're longing to do is always build connection with God, ourselves, and others. This is the greatest commandment, that you love one another, that you love God, you love others, as you love yourself. And what I find, so I've been doing uh, pastoral counseling for about 15 years, and I've been a pastor for about, I think, 22 now. And so in that time, what the most thing, when I sit down with people, a lot of times what I'm looking for is where do they have disconnection? or a place of lack of integration or attachment. And depending on who I'm talking to is depending on what most of the time is going on with the person. And so a lot of times, if I'm in a workshop, I'll draw out a triangle. And so if you see a triangle right here, you have yourself, you have God, and you have others. And a lot of times what happens with us is maybe you've grown up like I grew up, where the way I grew up, I got saved when I was three. And the most important thing about life was love God, love others as you love yourself, read the Bible, pray, and you'll grow, grow, grow. And so I spent all my time as a young man. My teenage years, I was studying theology. I loved studying just the greatness of God. And the older I got, it wasn't so much about... Um, my, my disconnection wasn't so much with the Father as it actually was with me. The person that I lacked attachment with was myself. I actually, where it become, I could give you all the beautiful biblical answers, the, the right answers, the God answers. I could walk up and say hi and give you the beauty, but in myself there was a place of disintegration or disconnection that I didn't actually have attachment with me. One of the beautiful things that you could do, and it's interesting within the culture, even when I first say it, love yourself, we immediately think of kind of the humanistic culture of the world, right? We just, we think of people that are so absorbed with themselves. Well, when I talk about self-love, I'm definitely not talking about that culture. I'm talking about loving ourselves the way that Jesus loves us. And guess what? That's actually really, really hard to do. Just like you receive the gospel, we receive the gospel, we receive salvation, and this is what, so this verse in Thessalonians is talking about us being sanctified. So you are sanctified and you are being sanctified. What does that mean? You are not done yet. You're not done. Like the song we sang. That was so powerful. It was. Yeah. You are not done. And what we want to do today is we want to we poke around in your soul, in your mind, will, and emotions. We want to poke around in your spirit. We want to poke around in your body and find out where is the place that you're not attached. Because, you know, salvation creates attachment love. Salvation is actually what gives us access first to God because he loved us first, right? So his love awoken our heart. This is what First uh, John says. His love awoken our heart. And then from that place, we actually have the ability to love one another as we love ourselves. And so we want to look at this form of attachment. And I felt like I woke up at 3, three in the, this morning, and the Lord started to talk to me about you guys. So I want to give you a couple keys as we, we talk about um, this place of attachment. Yeah, and this is the entire goal of the gospel was Christ was reconciling us to the Father. 
that our entire mandate on the earth is the ministry of reconciliation. That Jesus came to show us a father who wants relationship with us. And so, you know, the very essence of sin is, is the disconnection from this father. And, and Jesus paid the ultimate price to restore our capacity to attach and connect. And, you know, Jesus said, love your enemies. And for the majority of us, our biggest daily enemy is ourself. And the way that we speak to ourself the way that we think about ourselves. The most influential conversation you will have in the whole of your life is the one in your head. Because you talk to yourself more than you will talk to any other human being on the planet. The amount of thoughts that are running through your head in just a 24-hour period of time truly have the capacity to revolutionize the world when we're receiving the mind of Christ, when we're receiving the thoughts of Jesus uh, as personal to us in our story. And so when we're looking at our soul um, becoming whole inside of the gospel, how much of my inner world sounds like Jesus how much of my inner world feels like Jesus. You know, the, when you look at that word soul, one of its meaning is the seat of your feelings, the seat of your emotions. And, you know, Jesus, integrity is when the way that I think about myself is aligning with how Jesus thinks about me and how I feel about myself. I'm, I'm aligned in integrity when I'm one with the God who is perfect. Not that I am perfect, but my, my place of returning is how Jesus thinks. The highest standard is how Jesus thinks. And so very often, you know, Arrogance um, manifests in any place in my life where I'm elevating my opinion of myself above the opinion of Jesus. Humility is when I bring every opinion and it bows to a king. It bows to a master. And so what it means to have a Lord it means my opinion no longer trumps all. My thoughts are no longer the highest authority in my life. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided his lordship will reign supreme in my mind. And so, you know, as followers of Jesus, our primary place of discipleship is within. The most significant person, the most challenging person you will ever lead in the kingdom is yourself. Wow. That's hard. That's sobering. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You ever tried that thing called self-control? <laughs> it's really easy to try to control everybody else. But that self-control thing, man, it's a lot. And, you know, the most powerful force in the human brain is attachment. And so many of us, you know, from our primary caregivers, from our parents, from our family of origin, we did not receive attachment. And that is the, the, the beauty of the simplicity of the gospel is that, you know, we were all created in the image of God, male and female. And we were all meant for attachment to the Father. But then, dang it, Genesis 3 happened after Genesis 2. In Genesis 3, 
disconnected us. So the simplicity of sin is that it simply separates you from God, yourselves, and others. That's what sin always does. It simply separates. Sin is a disconnector. Addiction is a disconnector from yourself. It's detaching from yourself and choosing something to bring comfort, whether it's food or sex or drink, whatever it may be. It's a disconnector from you, and it separates you from you. And it also hurts you in your relationships with others and hurts you in your relationship with God. Not that he goes anywhere, but you go somewhere because you chase after something else. And this is why the whole gospel message is truly about attachment. It's about us coming back to this place of being one in Christ. And this is why the hardest person it is to lead is ourselves as we follow him. That's the whole goal of life is I want to lead myself in the way of Jesus because in that, me doing that is the place that I perform the Great Commission, which is actually bringing the gospel, the kingdom of heaven to earth, which actually sets the captives free, as Isaiah 61 says. It creates breakthrough, but we just can't forget ourselves in that journey. Because so many people walk around saying the most beautiful things, but every night when their head hits the pillow, they feel so disconnected. They feel so alone. And the Lord came, Jesus came to disrupt that loneliness, to create and fulfill the greatest thing he created our brains to experience, which is attachment to him, others, and ourselves. Yeah, and so when, you know, you're, you're looking through the scriptures and we'll, we'll see the Bible talking about the carnal mind, you know, and, and to not be led by the flesh, but be led by the spirit. And, you know, the carnal mind cannot perceive God. So it's, it's the mind that has been wired by a broken, fallen world. So it's, it's the mind that cannot perceive that God is here, that God is with me, that he is the great mystery of the gospel. Christ is in me, the hope of glory. And the carnal mind um, cannot access that reality. And we're funneling life. Uh, have, have anybody ever went through something really intense and, you know, you're, like, processing through it. And yes. you're, like, I'm not alone. Thank you. Thank you. And you're, like, how have I, I'm, like, processing as if God is not on my side. You know, like, some of those songs we were singing this morning, like, he is able. The God of the impossible is in me. And, and you begin to create all these solutions of what I'm going to do. And God's not even there. It's like, what am I going to do inside my capacity? And what, you know, what, what we're talking about in the gospel, what being born again into a spirit-filled relationship with God is that I now have the capacity to perceive God, that God is for me, that the Father is with me. And, you know, lately... Uh, in my relationship with the Lord, he's been asking me, so what if everything you imagined in the last 24 hours came true? Would you be happy about that? <laughs> oh, my God. Can I have a reset and take the next 24 hours? Because <laughs> this, look at this verse in Isaiah 26. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. And that word mind, when you look into it, it actually means imagination. You keep him in perfect peace. Peace himself, the person of peace whose imagination is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. That that, that place of your imagination is connected to a trust a trusting relationship 
that it's impossible to trust someone without attachment. It's impossible. Trust is an expression of intimacy. And, and you know, so this, your imagination is the primary place of discipleship when we're looking at what it means to be attached to the Father. That my imagination is staying fixed. It's being held up. That word stayed on you, it means rest. My imagination is resting in you. My, in, my imagination is anticipating your goodness. It's anticipating your nature. And so we're, when we're looking at having a whole soul, a soul that is complete in, in, in being sanctified, we're looking at a mind who's imagining a God that is with us, that is for us, that is on our side. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, just in kind of my, my, own, my own story, uh, James 1, uh, 2 through 4 has just been like a cornerstone in this year. And, you know, James likes to start his book out with some crazy talk. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. What are you doing here, buddy? How many of you, when you're in trial or conflict, your first Emotion, which is a physiological response to something happening in the present moment, that's what an emotion is, is joy. Anybody in here? Because if you do, I want to sit and talk with you for a really, really long time. We're going to pray together. I mean, you're going to pray for me. It's, this is this. It's going to be all that. And so count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet. Um, various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And this word steadfastness is so interesting because it means to not veer off course. It means you have one place of secure attachment, one place of secure connection, and it keeps you steady. And, you know, about uh, a couple years back, I, I found myself in deep depression. I actually didn't know I was there. I knew something was wrong for about two years. Couldn't put my finger on what it was. And so I found myself at this, this place. I remember I was just doing some research, and I finally just, I'm in bed, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. I'm depressed. Two thoughts. The thought before I realized that I was depressed was, I feel incredible shame. Because as a leader in the, in the church, as one that's seen the blind o- eyes open, that's led people to Jesus, that sees people delivered, that sees the captives set free, I am in this place of stuck, in this place of hard. And so there was, there was, there was immense... Uh, Shame and loneliness. And then the very next one, I realized that I was in this place of depression. I immediately get hit with overwhelming joy. And this is why. Because my brain immediately went to Psalms 23. Though I walk through hell, Sheol, the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he's with me. Because he's with me. This is why James gets to be so bold to say, count it all joy when you face various trials. Why? The answer is because he's with you. Because in the midst of hell, it's not truly hell because of who is with you. Hell is simply separation from God, a place that is void of him. Heaven is a place of where he is. So the valley of the shadow of death looks no more scary and bleak because of who's with me, because of who's with you. 
And this is why us as believers can look crazy. We can go through really, 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 really painful, traumatic things. And being in the world that, you know, I love so dearly, I, I come from the inner healing world, so the sozo world, the theophostic world, the pastoral counseling world, you know, one of our first solutions are like, what's the lie, right? And we're just like, whoa, we just want to chop that thing and bring some kung fu to that thing. And do you know what feels really frustrating about God? Yes, I did say that. is when he just wants to be with you in silence. You know that moment when Jesus was in the garden and he brought his best friends to the garden with him? I just want to stop and just take a moment for the other nine disciples who were left out all the time. They had to deal with some real insecurity. Jesus is always taking Peter, James, and John on these special adventures up to a mountain, to the garden, and they're left out. You know, like have to go to the Father for some, you know, Jesus wounds. I mean, this is going to be like just, you know, like he likes them better than he likes me. I mean, Andrew's just ticked all about it, you know. So they're in the garden, and Jesus is having... Such an experience of the, shadow, the valley of the shadow of death that his physiological body sweats blood. And he goes back to his friends three times. What you guys doing? You're sleeping. I just asked you to pray. I asked you to be with me. You can't even be with me in this moment. Then he goes back to the father. Father, will you take this cup from me? How does the father answer? With silence. But see, that place of silence did not take Jesus to a state of um, a, a disconnected state from uh, this place of, of loneliness or isolation. He knew that in that place of silence, that it was a place of silence and solitude. It was a place of attachment with his God, with his Father. With God, not his God, because he is God. And there's something about going through really, really hard things. And even in moments when he doesn't maybe give you the answer to what you're looking for, because sometimes the answer isn't this place of truth, it's the person of truth. This is why so many of us are so excited about the truth will set you free, and we're a lot of times looking for that specific information of truth, when sometimes he's just showing up himself to be with you, to be attached, to be connected, to be with you. This really affects us men. You know why? Because we like to have an answer for everything. We want to solve everything. We really like to solve things. But there's something about being able to step back and be in a state of joy, of security, just by knowing he's with you. It gives you a whole different outlook on whatever you're going through. Because it's the place of being soothed, of being cared for, of being with this is truly attachment love, is to be with him, others, as you're with yourself. Yeah. And when you look at all of our heroes in the Bible, uh, you know, the promise over and over that the Lord brought to them was, I will be with you. I will be with you. Jesus' parting words I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And so, you know, those who know their God carry out great exploits. And it's, it's true when you really look at every heroic story in the Bible where courage erupted, it was it was because of the men and women that knew their God. And their courage um, was not in their own capability. Their courage was in who is with me. And, you know, when the people of God were 
were actually in their promised land. Their feet touched the ground of their promise. And, you know, they freaked out because of the giants. You remember this story? We all love this story. This story feeds me. <laughs> and, uh, and they're like, we're going back to Egypt. They're going to kill us. They're going to eat our children and our wives. <laughs> and, um, and it says that they saw themselves like grasshoppers in their eyes. So, you know, the reality of, of the situation was these were not like metaphorical giants. Like these were actually supernaturally large humans <laughs> that were wildly bigger than the people of God. And so the, the issue was that they were measuring themselves by themselves next to the giants. And true faith is not, I'm bold, I'm brave, I can do it. True faith is I am measuring the giant in front of me next to my God. It's so good. That it is not about my size, my anointing, my gifting, my favor, my talent. To truly live the supernatural call of the gospel to confront wildly bigger giants than us on the earth. You know, they're like, we haven't even gone to giant killing school. We're not ready for this. We're not prepared. How many of you have hit the pause button because you don't feel ready or prepared? And we delay because I don't know, I'm not skilled enough. I put my foot on that ground, and now I feel intimidated. And, you know, the dangling carrot in this idea that we'll some, somehow arrive in our own personal development to be qualified is the very opposite of the gospel. Because uh, shame and inability and our fears are constantly saying, wait, wait, wait. And everything about the gospel is saying, now. I'm right here. I'm with you now. Now, 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 right now. The God who is with us now. So there's so many things that we wait on in life. God being with you will never be one of them. Because the only thing that keeps us in a place of attachment to Emmanuel, to God who is with us, is the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus. And so whatever giants you're facing that are taunting you and pushing you into a corner, intimidating you, our role is to flip the conversation and rejoice in your weakness. This thing is wildly bigger than me. And my God is strong. My faith is in the one who is with me. Yeah, so when I was in that, when I had that moment of joy after realizing, oh, you're, you're, you're depressed. It was about this three-month period that I was just doing a lot of work. I was getting a lot of help. I was calling pastoral friends, I was getting counseling, I was just getting a lot of help. And, you know, I realized in that, that season that, that something that had haunted me before was still haunting me, this uh, experience that I, I heard in the back of my mind all the time, you're not enough, you're not enough, you're not enough. This overwhelming sense, and whether it's being a pastor or a leader or a counselor or a husband or a father, just you're not enough. And, you know, I, I love the stories where, you know, it's the, the underdog who, it's the Rudy story, right? The underdog who makes that great play, who does something great. We, we as Americans, we celebrate these stories so much. We love the underdog stories. And the, you are enough. You did it. Look at you. Go. Like these are, these are the, so have you ever had moments with God where you're thinking he's, that's going to happen? And so in this moment, in this, in this, this three-month period 
I remember finally just the Lord, he, he was speaking to me in different ways through that season, and most of it is I'm with you, I'm with you, this, this Emmanuel, this, this steadfast journey of I'm with you. No matter what may come, I am with you. And, and so I'm in that place of security, and I love it. When you're actually in a place of secure attachment, you can get told really hard things. You get some really strong feedback and still feel connected. And you know, he, he looked at me and just said, Justin, you're not enough. Ah! That's rude. It's not, it's, it's not what you want to hear. But wait. If it's God, it's good, it's positive. You know, I used all the prophetic training that we all have. You know, if it's not kind, nice, you know, all that thing. Um, then it's not God. And no, I, I know the Father's voice. I, I knew this was him. And this is where he invited me in to actually embracing my weaknesses. Embracing those places that I'm not enough. But he actually is sufficient for my weakness. He is enough. This is the gospel. This is actually the the great need for not only him. This is what's more vulnerable, is our need for one another. Another. That a lot of times in our weaknesses, yes, he is made strong, but also he makes others strong. And this is why vulnerability is such a key. This is why our great need for one another, our great need to not be alone or isolated, but our great need for family attachment, for a connection one to another. And it's really easy to stay alone, even in the midst of others. It's mostly an attitude posture. It's a heart posture of a deep-seated need for one another. You know, this is one of the things I've, I've seen Pastor Chris do over and over and over and over and over again. His, 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 his beauty of getting people connected one to another. This is something you can feel just in the DNA of resurgence of your home. Is a deep place of, of longing for connection and, and a place where, where heaven is here for the lonely to get connected. And so that, that was a very sobering moment for me when the Lord, and again, he just took me back to the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of, of in my great weakness, he is actually made perfect or strong, the Bible tells us. And there's such a place of security in that as believers. This is what allows us to have the courage, the fortitude to do hard things really, really well. And through the last couple of years, we've all faced hard things in such different ways. And this is the beauty of the gospel that we can go through hell and it's not hell because he's with us. Because we're attached to him, we're attached to others as we stay attached to ourselves. Yeah, and you know, understanding why he is with us is the heart of what it means to be a son and a daughter of God. Because, you know, uh, our daughter Kylie, she, she's in theater, and we've been watching her play, plays for years, some of them, you know, from the living room. <laughs> And Lots from the living room. When we go to watch her, you know, we're not showing up to see who's the best. <laughs> like we bring flowers and we're not like, we're just going to give this to the kid that does the best job. The one that really stands out, you know, has the most skill, the most talent. Let's just take that one home, babe. Mm. Okay. <laughs> you know. Uh, and all of our journey the most powerful thing we'll ever do with our faith is make the love of God personal. That's really good, Jen. That knowing what attracts the Father to me is not my performance. It's not what I'm good at. It's not what makes me stand out. And, you know, the very heartbeat of a spirit of slavery is that I'm dependent 
on a mediator to get what I need. And, and often in a religious spirit, that mediator has been my good works. That if I'm good enough, God will really rest on me. If, if, if I do this enough, if I read my Bible enough, if I pray enough, if I fast enough, if, if I forgive enough, all these gorgeous spiritual disciplines will never bring you closer in proximity to the Father. The blood of Jesus alone has brought you to the Father. And it's because I'm connected to the Father that I love to read my Bible. I don't remember the last time I read my Bible because I should or I have to. It's the delight of my life. It's, it's, it's what the blood of Jesus has done making us a son or a daughter to the Father that, that brings us into his world where we are the one he's showing up for because we belong to him, not because of how we compare to the people around us. And the earth right now is groaning for the sound of sons and the sounds of daughters to heal the land to soothe the land, to be like a healing balm to the chaos because the world is poor in this kind of love, in a love that shows up because you are his, in a love that never gives up because you are his, in a love that's unconditional. And it's, it's the complete opposite of the life force of a religious spirit. The life force of a religious spirit is the spirit of orphans. I have to be the loudest to stand out. I have to be the, the most anointed, the best. And, um, you know, I remember uh, years ago when I was in school of ministry and you know, you're basically, at, in Redding, California, it was my second year school of ministry, and you're basically just in this room with the most spiritual people I had ever met in my life. Like, are you levitating? What, what is happening right now? You know? <laughs> like, just, I was raised super conservative Baptist, so it was, a, it was super overwhelming finding these people that were actually encountering the manifested presence of Jesus. And it was one, one day, uh, the Holy Spirit was just breaking out everywhere, and our leader was facilitating a time on the mic. And she was just inviting everyone up, whoever wanted to come and pray something or decree something or declare something. And I remember sitting in the back of the room and just thinking, oh, they're all saying it better than me. They're all saying it far more anointed than me. There is nothing that I need to say here. And I remember that day just being so silent and just not really showing up. And it, it really was my introduction of the Father beginning to lead me through why my voice on the earth matters. And your voice on the earth matters because of who you are to him. Not because you say it the best, do it the best, write it the best, sing it the best. You are unique because you're his kid. And nothing and no one will ever replace you to him. And so this is why attachment is central to you fully showing up in your hour of human history. Because until you get to the bottom of where true significance is found, in the heart of a father who crafted you before the foundation of the world, that you matter because he wanted you, before any of your brokenness 
in this poor, uh, love-hungry world took shape. There was a father who had the dream of you belonging to him. And it's only in that context of being reconciled to your home, your first home in his heart, that true courage begins to erupt in our lives to face what we need to face. Yeah, it's good. You know, I love that, you know, the Greek word for attachment love and the Hebrew word is really agape, and it's the word hesed in the, in the Hebrew Bible. And both of those just point back to the beauty of our attachment to God and his attachment to us. And, you know, when I, a lot of times the Lord will, will just uh, show me two different things, and a lot of times he's given me something to create some contrast and, and some, you know, some simple language, you know, that, and he woke me up in the middle of the night, and I, I heard him, you know, just say, uh, letting go versus disconnection. You know, a lot of times it's not the action um, that you perform. It's actually the attitudes that's behind the action, which that's all about your motive, right? You ever had somebody, you know, try to set a boundary with you or you try to set a boundary with them and they're like, that's about, that's a bad boundary, that's a wall, or they're just, you know, spouting off these different things. They're, they're just trying to get you to see that what you're doing is wrong. And... I heard the Lord say in the middle of the night, letting go versus disconnection. And so I see that he's pointing up a contrast to me. And I start just, you know, just meditating on what, what, is it, what does it look like to let go of something? Letting go is, is full of blessing. And disconnection is literally full of curse. Disconnection is the spirit of detachment or disintegration or disconnection. And letting go has the spirit of eternity in mind, of attachment. And I was thinking about um, seasonal relationships and seasonal times because I'm of the person, my two greatest torments in my whole life have been, you're not enough. And, and you know, my, my second one is, I'm afraid of losing relationships. And I don't have a lot of trauma ones in my life. I have many trauma twos. And my, my most memorable trauma two as a kid was my best friend. And um, Steve Backlund, some of you may know him. I grew up with him and his son, was Kyle Backlund, and we've been, we were best friends for years, and so we grew up, you know, about the same age, and well, he moved away to Round Mountain, Nevada. I lived in California at that time in Humboldt County, and he moved away when I was in third grade. Steve felt called to um, Round Mountain, Nevada, and in that moment, something got wired in my little brain. I became afraid of losing connection with people. And the thing was, if, if you would have asked me over the last 30 some odd years and said, Justin, do you feel afraid of losing people? I would have been like, no, I don't at all. And so, you know, in the spirit of this, this the difference between letting go and disconnection, I was listening to Unpunishable by Danny Silk and as I, I was listening to the book, and he gets to the, the part where he's telling, uh, how many of you guys have read that book? If you haven't, I so encourage you to go get that book. It's a great book. And he has that, um, he has this part where he's talking about Jonathan Welton and just this really hard story in there about just a whole mess that Jonathan was making and he gets to this one part, and I'm just, I think I was cleaning our room, and I just had been about an hour into it, just cleaning, I'm just enjoying the book, and, and in the story, he, he's, uh, 
they're talking to Danny. The board is talking to Danny about Jonathan and some of the messes he's made. And one of the, the board members asked Danny this question. And the question was, so after all that's happened in this, re- in this relationship with Jonathan, and you're wanting to see reconciliation happen, does that mean he still needs to be our best friend? We still need to have him over all the time for dinner? Does this mean, what is connection and attachment look like when there's a mess going on? And that, that was the question. I didn't even hear the rest of the book after that. I start just bawling my eyes out. I, I start just weeping uncontrollably, and I am like, for the first probably five minutes, I have no clue what's going on with me. I'm like, what is wrong? Why am I weeping so hard? What, what, is, what, is, what is wrong with me? And the Lord just comes down and says, Justin, you've had a core fear of losing relationships since you were in third grade, and it's followed you around for 30 some odd years, and I'm setting you free right now. I just, I just, I, I weep for the next hour. And because for every relationship, I, I actually felt, you know, probably religious and cocky that I'd be like, I've never lost a relationship. I always go after them. If it's ever on my side, I go after the relationships. The thing is that I didn't know how to do, I didn't know how to let go of seasonal relationships. I didn't know how to let go. And then I would judge everybody who did let go. I would judge them as disconnecting. And this thing followed me around for almost probably 35 years, 34 years. Of being disconnected from myself, I didn't know how to let go. Because letting go has eternity in mind. It's able to truly forgive. It's able to truly bless. It doesn't mean I need to invite the person over for dinner every day. It doesn't mean we're going to have that same deep-seated level of connection. It means there's a new season, and there's something new that God has for you and me in relationship. And it's so hard. Because I would fall into my personality type. I fall into more of a codependent relationships. Where I will follow people around. I will run after them. When they've shut the door, they've built a bunch of, you know, there, there's a moat. There's sharks and alligators. And there's, they're up there with guns. And I'm like, I'm coming for you. And they're like, I don't want you to come for me. <laughs> and so... But that was a disconnection from myself because I was taking the spiritual principle of connection and attachment, but I took it into the land of religion. Not into the land of a relationship or that triangle I was fake drawing here where God, others, and myself. I would disintegrate myself in trying to pursue relationships at times. And I would think I'm the righteous one. I'm the Christian one. You're the bad one. Rather than the beauty of being able to let go and bless, because that's what truly forgiveness is at the end of the day. It's being able to let go and bless them. Because as believers, we don't curse. Because guess what? We get to all share eternity together. And this is more about an attitude of a heart than it is about a particular style or a particular way of doing things. And so he wakes me up in the morning, I'm in the morning and I'm like, oh, this is for resurgence. And then like, you know, I, I was about an, up for about an hour and a half at that point, at that time. And then he like, he's like, this is actually for you, Justin. I'm like, oh, but I did. That whole time I did feel like it was for you guys too. So I'm inviting you into even my journey. For some of you, I feel like you've, 
you've been strong in your attachment to God. And some of you, maybe you're not. Maybe your confidence in that he loved you first isn't there. And I want to see that happen. I want to see that restored today. That place of he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing. I am in him and he is in me. In some of you, it's your place of disconnection with others. That place of not knowing how to pursue and be on the end of, of that, to actually go the extra mile with some, actually creating a bunch of enemies, having a bunch of bad guys, living with bad guys. And then some of you, it's that you've just disconnected with yourself. You've done it, you've done it in the name of, of service and serving Jesus and serving others. And my whole reason for being alive is to lay down my life for others. true. It's true until it jumps into religion. And then it's not about relationship. It's about rules. It's not about attachment love. It's about principles that lead to death rather than attachment that leads to life. And I don't know if you have anything that you want to you say here. Yeah, I just felt like we could just, we could just pray over you guys today. And, you know, if any of that part that I just said there, if it's any of those three places that you just want to grow in, you want to grow in some attachment to God, you just feel disconnected there, or you want to grow attachment with others, or you want to grow in some attachment with yourself, I'd just love you to stand, and we're just going to pray over you from this place. And so we'd love just to release some of these things over you guys today. And I really felt like for some of you, I just felt like, man, you're, you're, you're doing such a good job. You, you've, been, you've been trying so hard. There's just that small attitude adjustment. And it was me for that day. The attitude adjustment was, was, oh, wow, it's, it's okay to let go. It's actually okay to let go of things for seasons, to know and to do it with being able to bless and see eternity and, and see the, the yeah, that the we are going to spend heaven, we're going to spend a new heaven and new earth together forever. But in this season, there, it's healthy to let things go. And this is the beauty about living present is if you're living present, you're not making up a story about tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what five years holds, 10 years holds, 20, 30, 40 years. All you know is what you're supposed to do in the present. What a healthy spirit, soul, and body does is lives present. Anytime we ignore the past or we're fixated on the future, we're not living present. And integration really looks like being able to hear the voice of the one that we love, that we can be attached to him, others, as we're attached to ourselves. And so, Jesus, I I saw you just in the middle of the night, just releasing your attachment love on hearts, repairing and integrating places that we've disconnected, that we've felt out of alignment, even from places of a good heart. I thank you for those that truly need to let go. That it's a season of letting go. It's a season of transition. It's a season of of carrying something new full term. And I thank you that you're going to bless them in that. I just bless those that feel like they've given up on some relationships and it's actually time to go fight for that relationship. It's actually time to pursue attachment with those people. And then for those that just feel 
just insecure with their attachment with you. I just thank you that you're showing up as love. The God that loved us first while we were yet sinners. You died and adopted us. And so I just thank you for a place of attachment love, for a place of integration. Thank you, Father. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be, be, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. Yeah. He will surely do it. Yeah. 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 In, yeah. Jesus, In name. Jesus' name. Amen. For more resources and information about Resurgent ATL, please visit our website.